You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. So look, hey, we, we, are, uh, we are in a series right now called Thrill of Hope, and let me sort of explain uh, what that's all about. To, to do that really quick, uh, if you have a Bible, do me a favor, open up to Daniel chapter 7 is where we're going to be today, Daniel 7. Um, while you're trying to, so here's what the series is about. There is a classic Christmas hymn called O Holy Night. And O Holy Night, I've been saying this every week, O Holy Night to me is the great equalizer of who can sing in church. That's the, that's, that's, that's the, the hymn where you discover who's got some pipes, right, and, and who doesn't, right? You, you, you find out, um, like, when, when, there's, there's a particular note, like, where we get the, oh, night, if I, and so, like, I'm not, I'm not in the worship band, you guys, but, like, that's, like, that, that super high note, and then you find out, like, if you can do it or not, and uh, there's, there's a line in that song that I really like, because I think it's so stinking biblical, where it says, uh, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, and that's the name of this series, a thrill of hope. The idea is that something has happened in creation, uh, that has broken it, and yet God has done something into creation that has brought life and change, uh, and that is the Christmas story. And, and I find uh, so many of us, we know so much about Christmas, and yet we don't know the, the origins of Christmas. Uh, to, to say it like, uh, like this, and I think I'm quoting Annie Stanley here, um, many of us know the Christmas story, but we don't know the story of Christmas. Like, we know, okay, here, there, like, there's a nativity, and there's a baby, and all that stuff, but we don't know, like, the world that went into Christmas. And so what we've been doing over the last few weeks, and uh, we'll finish up next week, uh, is talking about everything that went into that first Christmas morning. And so last week, we, we talked about how uh, the, the Israelites, they had gone too far, the kingdom had split, God allowed them to be carried off into captivity, and there's a very, very pivotal date in, in history, because uh, this is not a fairy tale, this is a, like, here's a real thing that really happened, and, and, and that date, which is going to be our starting point today, is going to be this, it's 597 B.C., and that began what was called the Babylonian captivity. 597 B.C., that, that's when Nebuchadnezzar rolled up, carried off 10,000 people from Jerusalem into captivity in Babylon. He decimated the city. Uh, this is Nebuchadnezzar, the, the emperor of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, he took away the army of, of the Israelites, and, uh, he, and he carried off 10,000 of the best and the brightest. He carried off these people who, like, because in Babylon, they collected people, and they had this sort of idea of, hey, like, we'll be, like the, we'll be the pinnacle of humanity, and, and then you know, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. And so whenever they conquered a nation, they would take the people who seemed to be the smartest, who seemed to be the most educated, who seemed to be the most handsome, fit, what have you, and they would take the, be- like the best and leave or kill the rest. And so 10,000 people were carried off into Babylon. And, and, and you can imagine being an Israelite uh, at that point because you would have this thing of like, man, has God forsaken me? Because to them, like if they were defeated in battle, people believed in regional gods. They believed, okay, like if, if another nation's God beats our God, it means our nation's God is more powerful than us. And yet before all that goes down in sort of the midst of the chaos, the prophet Jeremiah looks at all this and he looks how the people are gonna be carried off into captivity. And he says this in, in one of the most misquoted verses of the Bible. In fact, I'm, I'm gonna give you the context for it. You're like, oh man, we're not, using that right at all, but, but it's true. In Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10, this is what Jeremiah prophesies. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good 
promise to bring you back to this place. So when 70 years are done, you guys are gonna be in captivity for 70 years. And when 70 years are done, I will bring you back. No, I haven't forsaken you. No, I haven't abandoned you. Even though it looks really, really bad, I have a purpose and a time to refine you as my people and bring you back. And here's verse 11. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God looks at the ancient nation of Israel and says, listen, I haven't forgotten you. And when 70 years are up, I know the plans that I have for you. And so you have one of these people who's carried off into Babylon is a guy named Daniel. And Daniel uh, is a smart kid. And the story begins, he's a young man. And, and maybe like you've heard of Daniel in the lion's den, or you've heard of, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. You know those stories, right? Or, or Daniel, one of my favorite Daniel stories is when the king demands somebody to interpret his dream, but won't tell anybody what the dream was. And so Daniel has to tell him what the dream was and what it means. I mean, it's a really cool story. And over and over and over again, in the book of Daniel, there's a central message, and it's just simply this. Don't live like everybody around you. Don't live like everybody. Like, like the world goes a certain way, but God has called you to something better and something brighter and something more powerful. And so at every opportunity to live like the Babylonians, to conform to the world around him, Daniel says, no, no, I'm going to do it God's way. And so time goes on, and uh what, what happens is this, one day after Daniel has sort of gone through the trials, right after Daniel in, in the lion's den, you know, where he's thrown in, in the pit for not worshiping the king, like he still prays to the Lord, right? And God delivers him, he shuts the mouth of the lion and Daniel's okay, you know? After that, the, the book of Daniel begins to shift in the way that, like it's, it's genre. And so it shifts sort of from what would be called a narrative, which is telling a story to, to predictive prophetic stuff where Daniel begins to be given visions of the future. Like, hey, here's what's coming. And so in Daniel 7, what happens is he begins to see not just the empire that he's living under, the Babylonians, but he begins to see future empires, things that are coming up down the line. He sees, he sees the end of Babylon. He sees the, the, uh, the Persians. He begins to see the Greeks. And after all this stuff, after he sees these like coming empires, he has this weird experience that really, really perplexes him. And so he has this vision. Here's what it says in Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 13. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. There before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. In other words, here's a guy who looks like a human being. I've been seeing these other like sort of figurative things, but I see this guy who looks like a human being. But the weird thing with this guy is he's doing something that people don't do. This phrase like coming with the clouds of heaven, this is perplexing to Daniel because if you read through the Old Testament, like the idea of somebody riding on the clouds, this is something that only God does. And so it's weird. You have this guy who's, who's he, he, like, he looks like a human being, and yet he's doing the actions of God. Like, I'll give you an example, like, like, because this is how Daniel would have seen this idea of riding on the clouds of heaven. So for instance, here's a, here's a descriptor of God in Deuteronomy 33:26. It says, there is no one like the God of, Jer- uh, of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds of his majesty. Again, Psalm 68, verse 4, sing to God, sing uh, in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. And so you have Daniel, and he's looking at this guy, and he's like, all right, something's just really weird going on here. Like, well, like, like this guy's doing God stuff, but it doesn't stop there. So look at this, Daniel 7, continue in verse 13. So it says, you know, coming with the clouds of heaven, it says, he approached the ancient of days, which is the presence of God the Father himself, and was led into his presence. And now something weirder happens. He's given what's due God himself. It says, verse 14, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. Or maybe your translation says served him. 
The word there that we translate is worship. First of all, let's just understand, like, that's kind of blasphemous, right? Like, Moses never demanded worship. Like, who does this? And yet this guy is getting God stuff. The, the word that we translate as worship there is the Hebrew word palach. And it's, and I'm, I'm kazumed over, right? Um, but it's, it's used, it's, it, it can be translated to serve, but it's a very specific kind of service. Like, the way this word is used throughout Daniel is how a person serves their God. So it's not just like, hey, you know, you're my boss, so I serve, or hey, here's a good idea of something I want to do in the community, so I serve. No, it's a very specific kind of service. It's the way, like, somebody would follow the God that they worship. And so here's this guy that's in, like, he's in the presence of God, he's doing God stuff, and yet he's receiving glory and honor, things that belong to God. The way that people behave towards him is this son of man, as he's called, the way that people behave towards him is they give him the stuff that's due God. And him contrasting versus the other nations that he's seen, the other empires that have risen and fallen in, in, in these visions, he's told something very specific about this guy and the way he's going to rule and the kingdom that he's going to have. And so it says, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His dominion is an everlasting, it'll go on forever, unlike these other ones. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He's got an everlasting kingdom that will not end. I want you just to take that idea and put it in your pocket because we're going to come back to it and have a really sweet payoff. So just remember that, okay? So time goes on. Daniel sees this guy, he's like, what? He starts having more visions. One day he has one of like a ram and a goat and, the, and like, the, like the horns of them are growing. It's just, it's just weird. And Daniel's like, I don't understand what I'm seeing here. And if you're reading it, you might be like, I don't understand what I'm reading here. Like, what is this? In the middle one day of having these visions, something crazy happens. God goes, hey, let's not make this obscure. And so it says in Daniel 8, starting in verse 15, it says, while I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. So this person appears up as a man, but he's different. It says, and I heard a man's voice from Uli calling Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. Gabriel, go ahead and tell him what it means. And Daniel begins to understand, like, oh, this guy's an angel. And in this moment, in the Bible, we're introduced to this character, who's not a character, he's real, but like this, this person whose name is Gabriel. And what we discover about Gabriel is if you sort of like break down what it, do, like what it is that Gabriel does, whenever you find him showing up in the Bible, is what Gabriel does is he, he's the one who's, who's called to explain the mysteries of God. That's what Gabriel does. Like, like versus like, you know, like God's doing things behind the scenes that we might not understand or God might say, hey, here's a thing coming down the line. It's Gabriel's job to go to the prophet or go to the person that the Lord is speaking to and go, here's what this means. Let's not have any secrecy. Let's not have any confusion. This is what it's all about. That's what Gabriel does. And so we meet him right there. And then time goes on. And Daniel becomes an old man. <laughs> and one day, he comes across the scroll of Jeremiah, the thing that we started by reading with the, hey, in 70 years, I'm going to release you. And, and Daniel goes, well, shoot, it's, 60, it's been 66 years, and we're not any different. Like Daniel, he looked at it, and he gets to panic because he's like, all right, Jeremiah said in 70 years, this is going to end, and what's going to happen is that God will finish refining us. He'll finish bringing us back to him, but we look like everybody else. Like we as a people have not Change. And so Daniel freaks out and he begins to pray. He's like, he's like, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the sins of my people. Like, we have not followed you. He begins to repent and intercede for him and, and, and the nation that he's part of. And while he's doing that, he begins to wonder, God, what's going to happen to us? 
Because you said, all right, in 70 years, like we're like the, sh- the shackles are going to fall off, but, but we are not different. The shackles shouldn't fall off. Like something has got to change. Lord, what's going to happen in the next 70 years? Or what's going to happen in the next few years that's going to make it so that when we hit year 70, everything changes? And while he's wondering that and while he's praying that, Gabriel shows up again. But this time, I mean, it, it's like he, he just goes pedal to the metal. And, and Daniel, who's just looking for something about the next few years, Gabriel begins to go, let me tell you about everything that's going to happen in the next few hundred. And so it says this. While I was speaking and praying, Daniel 9.20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, verse 21, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. About time, like when they would offer sacrifices to God, it's about 3 p.m. Hey, fun fact for you, you know what time Jesus died? 3 p.m., according to Matthew uh, 27, verse 46. So just a little fun time right there, okay? Gabriel, remember, he shows up to do his job, which is to unveil the mysteries of God. It says this, verse 22, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon, guys, just, can we just, look, this is just such a good spiritual nugget to understand how heaven moves when we pray. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. It's the Hebrew word chamad. And it doesn't mean esteemed like God is impressed by him. It means esteemed in the sense of like dearly beloved, highly favored, deeply cherished by God. Can I just say this to you for the one who feels like heaven is silent? You know what I mean? I've been praying, I've been praying, like, does God see? Does God hear? Does God care? According to this, he does, and in fact, God has issued a response the moment you prayed. Now, let's just take that in, okay? Because his response might not be what we expect. It might not be what we want. In fact, like, what we're going to see with Gabriel is it was not at all what Daniel expected. But don't think for a second that heaven is not moved by you. No, you are on the Lord's heart. If you are in Christ, you are the apple of his eye. Your sin is washed away. You are completely forgiven and embraced as a child of God. You are absolutely favored by the Lord, thanks to Jesus. And so here's Daniel, and he says, hey, the moment you prayed, God heard. Now look at this. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And here's Gabriel doing what Gabriel does. He's going to explain what's going on. And it's going to get really confusing. I just want you to know that up front. So we're going to read it together, and I'm going to explain it, okay? A lot of math about to happen. So here we go. Verse 24. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Verse 25. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. I promise I will explain this, okay? It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, built in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. Verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay. Okay. So here's Daniel, and he goes, what's going to happen in the next four years? 
and Gabriel goes, hey, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the next 70 times 7. Or if we could just say it like this, here's what's going to happen in the next 490 years. That's what he's getting at here, okay? Like, there's going to be, like, here's everything that's coming down the pipeline in the next 490 years. And I don't know any scholar that disputes that's what's happening right there. Anyway, so you're like, how do you get that math? 70 times 7, 490, that's how we get it, okay? Here's the crazy thing, all right? What Gabriel does is he gives him way more than Daniel actually asked for. And he begins to sort of give, I would say, these four phases of what God is going to do in the lives of his people. You ready to see what they are? So the first one, let's look at it again. Verse 25, talking about like the city. So hey, like you're praying like, like God, are you going to bring us home? Are you going to redeem us? He says, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And so we see, right, here's what phase one is. Here's what's going to happen, you guys. But phase one is that the Jews will be empowered to rebuild Jerusalem. So you guys are worried. You're wondering like, like will like God take care of us? Will he bring us home? Because the very first thing that God's going to do under a seven-year period is that he's going to empower your people to rebuild Jerusalem. And so if we were to look at this, and we were going, all right, it's almost like a 490-year play clock, okay? So once the first thing happens, once God, like, releases his people to begin to go back home and rebuild the city, which is what happened in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, right? Once that happened, those 490 years begin to count down. It's like a big, big play clock. So you have the first, you have the first set of sevens, and that's the city being rebuilt. And by the way, that really happened. In 457 BC, the, uh, the, the Persian king, uh, pardon my voice, the Persian king, Artaxerxes, issued the decree, guys, go home and start rebuilding, right? So that's, so that's phase one. But then the next thing you have is the 62 sets of seven. And here's phase two, 400 years of silence from God. I mean, like nothing happens. Like, if you look at the 62, nothing happens. I mean, give or take a couple years, but that, that's the span, about 400 years, like where God's not really doing anything. He's not talking. He's not really like moving prophetically as far as we know. There's nothing really earth-shattering or groundbreaking that's happening. And we'll talk about that 400 years next week. But then we have my favorite phase, phase three, the anointed one. And the word that we translate as anointed one is the Hebrew word Mashiach, where we get our word Messiah from. It's this promised ruler that will, remember all the way back, like in week one where we talked about like who will represent God faithfully in creation where everybody else has disqualified themselves. This is the guy. It's this, this ruler that God himself has appointed over creation. And so I want you just to check this, okay? So here's where we are. Okay, like, so you've got a period of uh, seven sets of seven, so seven years. Okay, then you have the 62 and another set of seven. So during this last little, like, like this little last phase or this next phase here after the, this would be the, the 69 sets of seven. I know, just, just stay with me, okay? Remember, the clock started back in 457 BC as the clock is beginning to drain down, right? So here's the deal, okay? What this means is from that moment, like once that clock starts going, 483 years later, something crazy is gonna happen with the Messiah. You know what it would be? Look at this. He says it. Daniel 9.26, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. In other words, in other words, he's going to die, and he's going to die in such a way that he doesn't even have the shirt on his back. He will literally have nothing. And so if we're wondering, okay, at what time period will that take place? If, if our play clock is draining down, when will that set of sevens take place? I'll tell you the exact years it would be between for this set of sevens. It would be between 27 and 34 AD. Now let's have some fun. 
do you know when everybody believes Jesus died? Somewhere between 27 and 34, probably around 80, 30 or 33. And so we go, all right, so the Messiah will be killed. And at that time, he will be cut off. He will have nothing, not even the clothes on his back. He'll be like, like he will really have nothing. And we go, well, so what's the point of it? Like, why would this guy die? He's the anointed one. He's the ruler decreed by God. Why in the world would this man be killed? And the answer is that we already, like verse 24 already told us. Here's the purpose of all of it. Look at verse 24 again. Why, why, why will the Messiah be killed? To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. In other words, the Messiah is going to die to atone for people's sins. That's what he's going to do. The, re, like the reason the Messiah, the, the anointed one, will be cut off is that he will shed his blood to put an end to the wickedness that the people can't put an end to themselves. Remember, this whole context is, hey, Lord, we're not living up to what we should, and I don't know what we're going to do. And God goes, I'm going to take care of it. I mean, that's kind of cool, right? But it doesn't stop there. I mean, you talk about some crazy detail. So there's phase three is the anointed one. And then there's phase four, the destruction of Jerusalem which seems like a weird thing to prophesy if Daniel's wanting to go home. Like, why would he bring that up? But look at what it says in verse 26. The people of the ruler who will come, and I believe that's probably the Roman Empire, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Wait, the city and the sanctuary that we just rebuilt? Yeah, it's going to be gone. And guess what? That happened in 70 AD. And by the way, do you know when Daniel lived? 600 BC. So 600 years before all of this, Daniel said it would happen. See, in 70 AD, the, the Roman general Titus came to the city. There was the Jewish, uh, the Jewish war. Uh, the, the Romans, they surrounded the city. They waylaid it. And I mean, when they destroyed it, there's, this, this attack in 70 AD is the reason there is no temple of the Lord in Jerusalem now. Like, they completely demolished it to the point where there's not a stone left on top of the other. Just like Daniel said it would happen. You know, that's cool. What in the world does that have to do with Christmas? right? I mean, here's Gabriel showing up, and he's prophesying everything that is to come. Yep, so you, again, you've got the city rebuilt. You've got the 400 years of silence. You've got the Messiah uh, dying. You've got the, the temple being destroyed, and, and then Gabriel just kind of disappears. It's quiet again until the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. In fact, let's just read this together. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. God is beginning again to reveal the mystery. Like, the, what's God going to do? He's peeling the curtain back. Here I am. Let me tell you what's about to happen. The angel went to her. I'm sorry, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great and be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And remember all the way back in Daniel 7, here comes this ruler whose kingdom will never end. Remember that? Verse 33. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's full circle. Isn't it? That's the thing, man. I think it's so amazing about the Lord. He's left very little guesswork on our end. And sometimes we, we, we look at God's word, and we see it as this book that we know is spiritual, but do you understand the miracle of that? Like to have someone prophesy empires rising and falling to that degree, to, to prophesy like when the Messiah would show up, to that degree, to prophesy, Talk about, hey, listen, what God's going to do on our behalf way before any of it happens. And I think this is the thing that sometimes because we just know the story, we miss what the story is about. You know, like, there's, there's a movie that came out a bunch of years ago with uh, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore called 50 First Dates. You guys ever see 50 First Dates? You know, 50 First Dates? Man, I'm not going to make you cash in your man card if you saw it. It's all right. Yeah. What, what's the story of it? Well, you got this couple that's in love, but, but due to a, a head injury, uh, the woman, she forgets every, every morning, like her, her, her mind resets, right? Like, here she is, she's forgotten her love story. And that's the thing, I think, with Christmas sometimes, is that we, we don't quite understand. Like, we've been told and invited into a love story with God, and we simply just don't know it. But here's what we celebrate at Christmas that God has done something. And he's left, he's left so little guesswork to our end. And all that we have to do, was it, was it about us earning it? No, it was that God gave it. The whole context for what the Messiah would do was that, hey, Lord, we haven't lived up on our end. And God goes, I know. I'll take it on me. So this morning, as, as we wrap up, can we just do something a little bit different? Can we just stop and thank the Lord? You know, like, not like a Thanksgiving prayer. What do you think for? But like really, like really, really, like, Lord, I want to thank you. Can we stop? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, the anointed king, whose kingdom knows no end. We thank you because you've sent the Son of Man, who lived the life that we did not, who's been faithful where we haven't and who has died to wash away our evil and make us new. Lord, we thank you. We did not deserve this, but you and your kindness chose to give it. And Lord, as, as Daniel prayed, as he interceded for his sins and the sins of his people, Lord, as a people, we, we, we just want to intercede and repent of our sin to you as well. Because we know that everyone who cries out to the Lord for mercy finds it. So, Father, we're asking you, show us mercy again. As a church, as a community, as a country, Lord, we ask you, show us mercy. We repent of our sin. We turn from it. We are so sorry for it. We want to be a people 
who have been so thoroughly washed in the blood of Jesus that the things of the world have no draw. Forgive us this day. May your mercies towards us begin new this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church fam, bless you guys. We'll see you next week for the end of Thrill of Hope.